Uh, this week, I am so excited. We are starting a new series called God's at War. And for me personally, this has been one of the, the hardest messages. I understand we've only been around since May. But for me personally, this study has been one of the most challenging for me. Because as I'm, as I'm writing the sermon, as I'm preparing the sermon, I pray through it and I ask God the questions, the hard questions, the things that I'm going to ask you, I start to ask myself. And you may think that because I stand up here that I have it all together, but I promise you I don't. And oftentimes the same things that I challenge you with, that I bring here and say, what is God doing in your life? I ask myself the same questions. And as I started to pray through this, this has been one of the most challenging things for me. Because the gods that are at war for the throne of your heart are constantly waging that battle. It's a daily thing. And whether we intend to or not, something always fights and sometimes wins for the throne of your heart where, where Jesus should sit. And so, well, let, let, let me just start off here. When I was a kid, before I could get up from the dinner table, I had to, and I wish my mom was here or my dad was here because they could confirm this. Before I could get up from the dinner table, I had to recite the Ten Commandments, right? And this, sometimes the, sitting at the dinner table was a long process for me because I didn't like vegetables, right? The green ones, especially lima beans or peas. And if those were set on my plate, they would sit on my plate for ah, at least an hour. And I wasn't allowed to get up. But you know, for a kid, that's not really a punishment. Have you ever seen a kid sit alone in a seat? Like you have put them there and that's time out for them. They are having the time of their lives. You know what I'm saying? They're flipping. They turn into Superman. You know, they're, they're just having fun. And that's what I would have until, of course... At the end of that hour, I realized I needed to get up because I needed to go to the bathroom or needed to do something, wanted to go play, and I wasn't allowed up until I finished. And then, you know, I also played the game because the lima beans and the peas would get cold. I didn't want to eat those, right? Once they got cold, that was done, and so I played the game. Hey, Mom, can I nuke these? Yeah, she'd let me warm them up, and then she realized this was an ongoing thing, and then she stopped letting me nuke them. So cold lima beans and peas is what I got on a regular basis, and we didn't have a dog that I could feed the food to, so it was just me, you know? Hide them in a napkin, they catch on to that. Parents are really smart. I don't know what that's all about, but they're really, really smart. So anyway, before I could get up, one of the things that my mom instilled in me as a kid was the, the, um, the memorizing scripture, memorizing uh, small verses here and there, and definitely memorizing the Ten Commandments. And so before I got up from the table, I had to recite the Ten Commandments, and then I was excused from the table. Does anybody remember those days where you had to say, Mom, Dad, may I please get up from the table? Now it's, Mom, Dad, where is the table? You know, can I please sit in front of the TV while I eat? You know, it's just different. And, but when I was a kid, we asked to get up, and we were dismissed from the table. It was a family time thing. And um, sorry if you weren't damaged as a kid by that kind of stuff, but it was, that was my damage, right? And so anyway, um, I, knowing the Ten Commandments, if you were to ask me as a kid, which one of these have you, have you been able to, to keep all these? And there are certain ones I could look at and say, yep, I have. Now, if you've never heard the Ten Commandments, I'm going to read them to you really, really quick. Deuteronomy 5, 4 through 21. Uh, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first one, right? No other gods. Number two is you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. God's being very specific, right? Don't make an image. Don't carve anything out. Don't take metal and make it. Don't take clay and form it. Don't make it look like anything in this earth, in heaven, here, or below, right? God's being very, very clear because we always look for those loopholes, right? Well, he didn't say the water. You know, I don't know. Anyway, he did. He said in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. <clears throat> Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
You've also heard this was, take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? That's a, it's written that way in Exodus. And then observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is rest on the, on the seventh day, no work. And then it says, honor your father and your mother as your Lord God commanded you, right? So honor mom and dad. Probably didn't do that one so well. You shall not murder. I'd never killed anybody. And I think everybody in here can pretty much say you've never killed anybody, right? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony or lie against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, the desire of your neighbor's house or land or his male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Those are the Ten Commandments. And so I quoted those all in paraphrased version to get up from the table. And if you'd asked me, had you done all those things or which ones of those had you done? Well, I'd never murdered anybody. However, the Bible says that if you think in your heart about somebody, have you ever hated somebody so bad that you just wish they were dead? Well, it's the same thing in your heart as far as God is concerned. Have you ever stolen anything? And you know, I'd have to answer, yeah, I had. Or have you ever lied? Yeah, I had. But the ones I could boast and brag about is I've never made it a graven image before. I've never, I don't even know how to whittle. I don't know how to whittle. I'm not a very good artist. I could probably draw something, but there, that's not what we're talking about here. He said, don't make anything. So I, I, I never made a graven image, and God's my God, right? And so we look at that, and we think maybe that's a little antiquated, right? We think for us today, we've never done that. But the fact of the matter is, is you can't break any of the last eight commandments without breaking the first two. If God is not first, you will steal, you will kill, you will commit adultery, you will do all the other things. Or if you have an idol, the second one says no graven image. What does that mean? That means an idol, something that is in place of God. God says no other gods before me, and then nothing else sitting upon that throne. So it's God or an idol. Those are your choices, right? And so we choose between those two constantly. And God is a jealous God. He wants to be in that spot, right? And so we think, all right, well, if that's, if, if that's how it was, we don't have any idols. Here we don't. But if you go to India, go to India and go into their living room. And you go into their room, they have an idol right into the living room, right? It's sitting right in the middle of the floor. And all of their furniture is positioned in such a way that every seat in the room can see the idol. I guarantee you, if I were to walk into your house, I would go into your living room <laughs> And every single seat in your living room is positioned in such a way so that you can see the TV. See, idols take a different shape in this day and age, right? We don't happen to have these things that we carve out and that we bow down and worship. Idols can be lots of different things. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today and talk a little bit about that. My hope is that you will allow this message to challenge your heart today to see that while we intend well oftentimes, that more often than not, we are giving Jesus a seat on the love seat of our heart and not the throne of our heart, okay? That's my hope for you today. So uh, go with me here. Just imagine a man who has a cough, and he keeps on coughing, right? It's interrupting his sleep. It's interrupting his conversation. It's interrupting his basketball game, Saturday, 12 o'clock, Civic Park. <laughs> it's interrupting every <laughs> feeling that back there. It is interrupting everything this man does. It's interrupting his preaching. Whatever it is, it's bothering this guy. And so he decides, i got to go to the doctor. I'm losing sleep at night. I'm losing friends. I'm losing the ability to connect with customers. i got to go to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor. He says, this cough is killing me, doc. you got to help me. So the doctor says, okay. He runs some tests on him. And unbeknownst to the man, he finds out that the guy has lung cancer. And the doctor decides, well, the guy didn't come in here to talk to me about lung cancer. He decided he came in here to talk to me about 
his cough. So the doc goes back to him and gives him a prescription for cough medicine and says, here you go, because he decides it's too tough to tell him about the lung cancer. It would be too difficult to share with him, hey, you've got a disease that's going to eat away at your body. And he decides to, since the guy only came in and asked about his symptoms, to help him with his symptoms. And so he gives him the cough medicine. And the man goes home, and he thinks he's better because he's taking the medicine on a regular basis. He's not coughing anymore. He's sleeping at night. His conversations aren't being interrupted anymore. And yet he goes on with his life, and this cancer is eating him from the inside out and will eventually be the cause of his demise. Every week, people come to church coughing. Every week. They come in struggling, hurting, stressing, Cheating, lusting, spending, worrying, quitting, medicating, avoiding, and searching. Oftentimes people will come to me and share their struggles with me. They talk to me and they confess their sins and they want to know what the problem is. Why do they continue to do this? What, why, why in the world? They, they show me their wounds and they say, I'm hurting. And I'm hurting with this sin and I don't know what's the problem. They, they think the problem is the sin that they talk about, but the problem really is at the heart. There's a God that sits on the throne. It's idolatry. In fact, we, this, because this is one of those things that we don't feel like we have to pay attention to anymore, it's not even talked about very much. But the Bible talks about it. There are over a thousand verses in the Bible that talk about idolatry. A thousand verses. For us, that should be something we take note about. We should see that and go, man, there's something here. They're talking about it an awful lot. That means it's important to God and needs to be important to me. A man named Oz Guinness points out that idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible and one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it is one of the least meaningful notions. The whole subject of idols seems obsolete. The command was for them, not for us, right? But idolatry, it seems so primitive and so irrelevant. That's a hard word for me to say. You try it. (laughs) And yet idolatry is that number one issue, right? As we look at life through this lens, what becomes very clear is that there is a war going on. There is an idol that is constantly fighting, and you are surrounded by them from sunup till sundown. Oftentimes, idols are not even things that are bad. Oftentimes, they're gifts from God. They're gifts that he's given us that we turn into an idol. We get joy from receiving a gift, and then we turn that gift into the joy itself, right? Instead of the joy from the giver of that gift. So what if it's not about statues? What if the gods are here and now and not cosmic deities with strange names like Moloch or, you know, um, Baal or any of the, the gods from the Bible, the Old Testament Bibles, the ones that, that overthrew the Ashtoreth or the, the calves or the cows and the things that people bow down and worship to. What if it was not about that? What if they take identities that are so ordinary that we don't even recognize them anymore? What if we do all of our kneeling and bowing with our imaginations, our checkbooks, our search engines, or our calendars? What if those were our gods? Well, what does that reveal about you? I mean, if I were to go to your computer at home and I were to pull up your Google machine and go, show me the search history, what will I find? 
Some of you probably wouldn't want me to do that because of some of the things that you've searched, but that's not my point. I'm not looking for your sin. I'm, t- I'm making a point by whatever it is that you search or that you pursue or that you chase after is what sits on the throne of your heart. That would be an easy, an easy, and so what if it just wasn't the Google machine? What if the Google machine was you? What are you searching after? What is it that you pursue and you're constantly doing a search for? That's what sits on the throne of your heart on a regular basis. And what if I told you that every sin you're struggling with, every discouragement you're dealing with, and even the lack of purpose you're living with is because of idolatry? Here's a, there, there's a few examples of this, uh, uh, and, and things you don't even understand why. There's a, a very wealthy guy, very wealthy, CEO of a company, millions and millions of dollars a year. Guys has multiple homes, yachts, expensive cars. His kids are going to the Ivy League schools. And yet here's a guy who goes to jail for embezzlement. Why does that happen? He has everything he needs. There's an idol sitting on his heart, and it's money, it's power. A young girl is moving in with her boyfriend. She knows what the Bible says about that. She knows what the word says about marriage. She knows what it says. But her boyfriend wants her to move in really bad. And so she's being pulled between what she knows is right with God and what her idol in that relationship wants. A young guy who's addicted to porn, he doesn't understand why this is his go-to sin. He doesn't understand why he can't beat it because, see, he goes through periods of time where he beats it. He beats it completely. He's not even fighting with it at all. He's not struggling. Hasn't looked at it in months, and all of a sudden, it snaps again, and he loses control. He's back in the same place he was before, and he doesn't understand why this is his go-to sin. He thinks that if he can control his action, then then he's better off. But the problem is he's got an idol on his heart. It's idolatry. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to the, the, the Bible and talk a little bit about this. And we're going to go to Joshua. By the way, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we have prepared for you. And we have Bibles and we'd like to give you one as a gift. Not just for service today, but for the rest of your life. This is for you. If you would just put your hand in the air, we have a Bible. We'll put it in your hand and you can take it with you today. If you don't need one, that's okay because we, uh, we will also put the uh, verses up here on the screen. Uh, just like you see here. But just let us know with a wave of a hand like this if you need a Bible. Great. Okay, cool. So we are in Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15. And Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, the first thing you need to understand as you read through that verse is that Joshua presents them with four options. He says, you can serve the gods of your fathers. He says, you can serve the gods of the Egyptians. He says, you can serve the gods of the Amorites. Or you can serve the Lord God, Yahweh, our God. Notice he doesn't give them a fifth option that says they can worship or they can not worship at all. The reason he doesn't give them this option is because that's actually not an option. You and I are hardwired to worship. That's what we do. We worship. 
We bow before something, whether we are physically prostrating ourselves on the ground and bowing and saying, you are Lord and I worship you. It doesn't matter if you're saying that with your mouth or with your actions as far as getting down on the ground. You say it with your heart. You say it with your life. You say it every day. And so we don't have a choice. He doesn't give them a choice of who to, of not worshiping anything. He says, A, B, C, or D. Which one is it? And those four options stick with them. And they say that no matter what it looks like in other cultures or countries, we're all worshipers. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. Peter Kreft, a philosopher, put it this way. The opposite of theism is not atheism. It's idolatry. See, theism would be the belief of God. And A, adding the A to the beginning of it, means atheism, the lack of or the non-existence of God. But that's not an option for us. We either have God or an idol, right? So let me put it this way. Here's what happens to all of us. And I'll talk to you on terms that I relate to, okay? Anybody here like Lucky Charms? <laughs> I love Lucky Charms. It's my favorite cereal ever, right? When I was a kid, I loved Lucky Charms. I loved getting it out in the morning. I'd sit on the floor because I'm, I'm, I'm a sleepy head when I wake up. And I would go to the kitchen and I'd get the cereal out. And more often than not, I would fall asleep hugging a cereal box on the floor or just kind of sit there in a corner and that was okay because it was kind of sectioned off and my mom could walk around me it was fine but i'd sit there i love the lucky charms boxes you know because they had uh they had free prizes inside or they had proof of purchases you know you could cut out and send them in and get a lucky charms doll which i never seem to get i don't understand that but they had the games on the back and so i love the cereal boxes but there was a time in my life where my mom switched uh, from the cereal boxes she doesn't keep the cereal boxes anymore at my house see, right now where i live my kids they eat cereal, and, and I never understood why my mom switched, and I'll explain that in a second, but my kids eat cereal in the morning, and they don't roll the plastic bags back down, right? And they don't close the lids. And the way our pantry is made, you can't put the cereal box in standing up with the lid up, right? You have to put it in this way. And so when they slide it into the pantry, man, food just, cereal falls out all the time, and more often than not, we've got a mess. So I understand why my mom switched. So when I say switched, I mean she, did, she put in these plastic containers, right, with lids on them. And she's all, oh, it keeps them fresh, and, you know, not, there's no spillage. I mean, she didn't want to explain the spillage to a little kid, you know, but you know, it keeps them fresh. And, and really, there was a secret behind it. See, I love Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms are brand name, and so they're a little more expensive. And so even though this Lucky Charm is now in this big plastic container, I continue to pour it and I eat it, and something's a little different. <laughs> something's a little different. But I come to accept it as Lucky Charms. This is Lucky Charms. It looks like Lucky Charms. It's not quite tasting like it, but it looks like it. And come to find out, I've been swindled and tricked. <laughs> if you go to Walmart, they have these big bags, which something should tell you that this is not right when it's in a bag that dog food looks like it comes in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Lay it next to a... Yeah, anyway. So, And there are these things. I would call them yucky charms, not lucky charms. Nobody is lucky for eating these things. And... <laughs> But you can buy these things, and, and you can, they're a cheap substitution for the Lucky Charms, and you can put them in the container. And so that's what I was doing. I had come to accept the norm. I had come to accept this as my Lucky Charms. I mean, because you can't really know, right? You can't. I knew something was off. I knew something wasn't right, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And that's kind of how we are with idols, right? There's something that's not right. There's something that leaves us going, eh, I've had better. I've tasted better. 
But we keep on going because it's our norm. We come to accept it. And the truth is, what we bought into is a pack of lies. We bought into a lot of things that just aren't true. And so for me, I got to have lucky charms. I got to have them. So Joshua gives opportunities to worship specific gods. He says they're gods of our fathers. Some of us worship money. Our God is our money because that's what our parents worshiped, right? They chased after money. Everything was about money. Everything was about having more and having more. And so we chase after that. For some of us, we worship attention. So we do anything. We dress certain ways to get that attention because that's what our mom did or that's what our dad did. But for us, what we want to do today, what I want to help you do, if you don't know what God it is that you battle with or what idol it is you battle with on a regular basis, I'm going to ask some questions. And what I hope to do is just probe your heart a little bit today. And I want you to ask these questions of yourself. I don't want you to put your hand up. I don't want to know. I'm not here to to tell you you're wrong or to tell you that you're a sinner. We're all sinners, okay? Let's just have a level playing field. And then be honest with yourself as I ask some of these questions, okay? Here we go. What are you most disappointed with? What we're most disappointed with often reveals where we put our hope. If your paycheck that you're getting at the end of the week is something that is disappointing to you, or you place your hope in that thing, it's more than likely that it's an idol. If your whole world is based on whether or not you'll get that raise or whether or not you'll get that bonus, and everything comes crashing down because you don't get it, your hope is there, and that's your idol. That's your God. That's the God you serve. Number two, what do you sacrifice your time and money for? You know, we talk about time is money. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? And the reason we say time is money is because we go to a job, we clock in, and based on the hours that we put in that week, for most of us, for most of us, <coughs> based on the hours we put in that week, they hand us a paycheck. Now, of course, assuming you've done your job and you've used your talents and the training that you have, but we ex- essentially exchange our time for our money. So how do you sacrifice Or where do you sacrifice? The word serve appears seven times in Joshua's speech. So who or what you serve is revealed by how you spend your time and your money. In Matthew 6.21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about that for a moment. Your treasure. What is your treasure? It's your money. It's the things that you desire. Where is that? Because that's where your heart is. Number three. What do you worry about? What is it that scares you? What is it that if you lost this, that you wouldn't be able to live without it? I can answer this question for my kids. I know what that is. I'll tell you what will just break them down and make them howl like they just woke up in Egypt and their firstborn was dead. Take away their iPods. Oh, dear Lord, you would think the world was over when you take away their iPods. When you say, hey, I'm taking that for the day, I'm trying to talk to you, or I'm trying to have a conversation with you, when you take that away from them, they feel like that's something they can't live without. They get up in the morning, and that's the first thing they want to do. And every morning, it's a point of contention with me and my kids. Get dressed, brush your teeth, eat your breakfast, brush your hair if you got hair to brush. You know, Sometimes my boys don't. They go, anyway, do those things. And then you can have your iPods, and you can have that. But do these things that I've asked you first. Buddy, if they don't do those things and you take them away, they howl for the day. They they cry. They're so sad. But let me tell you what happens when you take away the iPods. The things they feel like they can't live without. All of a sudden, I'm back in relationship with my kids. 
I get to talk to them again. I'm not looking at the side of their face all the time. They want to play games with me. They want to talk to me. Dad, what are you doing? They want to learn things from me. And it's the same way for us. When the idol gets removed, that thing that we feel like we can't live without, you get restored into relationship with God. And it's an amazing thing. That thing you feel like, if this is gone from me, I will never, I I don't know what I'll do with myself. Give it a shot. Let it go. See if God won't restore your life, restore your relationship with him, just like he does with my kids. Number four, where do you go when you're hurt? Where we go when we're hurt creates an honest moment of worship, right? Because it, it reveals where we go for comfort. My son, Trent, had a teacher that he really enjoyed. Let's just, for the sake of today, call her Mrs. Kane. And he really enjoyed this teacher, and, and maybe it was because, well, let's just say for today, for example, that he thought she was attractive. <laughs> and did I say this was my son, Trent? I did, didn't I? So he hears this. Anyway, he was her favorite teacher, or she was his favorite teacher, and he loved her. And love being in the classroom, love doing good work for her, love making her proud, love hearing her say, good job, good work. He loved getting good reports from her. And so uh, it's interesting, though, when mom came in for the day, and if she were to come into the classroom for the day, and, and Mrs. Kane was there, and Trent was in the room, mom was in the room, if Trent had fell and bumped his knee or, or hurt his shin or something really, really painful that he needed some comfort for, where would he go at that point? It's a moment of decision, right? Would he go to Mrs. Kane or would he go to mom where he finds comfort on a regular basis? And for us, it's the same thing, right? Where we go for comfort when we're hurting reveals a lot about us. For some of us, it's food. For some of us, it's a relationship. For some of us, it's drugs. Some of us, it's alcohol. Where do you turn when you're hurt? An idol is anything that you turn to for help when God told you to turn to him for help. Number five, I think. I've got these lettered, so this is E, but it's number five, I think. What makes you mad? Does your team losing a game ruin your day, ruin your week? Does it make you so angry that you want to throw your beer or spit on the other team? Does it make you angry? What makes you angry? That can reveal a lot about your heart and what sits on the throne of your heart. What do you dream of? What are you inspired by? What are you chasing after even when you're awake? I don't even mean dream. What do you think about during the day? What do you fantasize about like this? If only I could do this. If only I could have that. Are you telling me that dreams are bad? No, I'm not telling you dreams are bad. I'm telling you that they can become idols, that they can replace the spot that God was intended for in your life. So what do you dream of? What brings you joy? Is it the gift that brings you joy or is it the giver that brings you joy? Once again, gifts that God gives us, every gift he has given us, whether it was sex, whether it was food, whether no, no matter what it is, becomes an idol to us because that's what we do. We are made to worship And so instead of worshiping the giver of that gift, we find so much joy in the gift that that becomes our idol. Last one, whose applause do you long for? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Maybe your children? Whose applause do you want? Who are you looking for to slap you on the back and say, good job? 
Is it God? If it's not, you could have an idol in your life. Somebody could be in a place in your heart that is intended for God. So what do we do? The answer is to make a worship choice today. Joshua says, choose this day. And that's a verb that is a perpetual thing, right? It's a constant choosing. It's representative of the fact that I have chosen, I choose, and I will choose. It's every day. Jesus talks about, or Paul talks about taking up your cross daily. It's a choice you have to do daily. As a Christian, you choose daily to pick it up. When you wake up in the morning, the cross is there. And you have to choose to pick that thing up. You have to choose to allow God to sit on the throne of your heart. Who will you choose? And so Joshua says, you've got to choose. Choosing looks like this. There are two simple ways that we can show God we have chosen him. We can appreciate what God's done. In verses 2 through 13, Joshua recounts the incredible things that God has done for the people. And so when we gather here and we worship, we celebrate what God has done for us. Forgiveness of sins, a place in heaven, restoration of marriage, restoration of relationships, freedom from addiction, freedom to live a life that God is blessing, and freedom to live a life of love where we can give without fear. Appreciate what God has done. Number two, the second thing you can do is to recognize who God is. In verse 19, Joshua reminds the people that God is holy and jealous God. Now, you wouldn't think that the word jealous is a good attribute for God to have because we think of jealousy as a bad thing. Oh, they're just jealous, and we say it that way, and it makes the person seem like it's a bad thing. But let me put it to you this way. If I was out on a Tuesday night and having dinner with a woman that was not my wife, and you saw me, and you came over, and I'm gazing intently into her eyes, and you say, excuse me, Pastor Aaron, what are you doing? Oh, and I explain it's Tuesday. See, date night with my wife is Thursday night, but it's Tuesday. And I can do anything I want to on Tuesday night. I'm having dinner with this young lady right here. Well, you're bothered by that. And so you decide to call my wife and tell my wife. My wife says, thank you very much. I appreciate the phone call. And I come home from my date with this other woman. She meets me at the door. And she says, hey, honey, hugs me and kisses me and says, how was your date tonight? And I said, you're not mad? She goes, oh, no, date night's Thursday night. Tonight's Tuesday. You can date anybody you want. Now, how many of you know that is not the way that would go down? <laughs> My wife is a jealous wife. And see, that's not an indictment against her. That's, an, that's a, 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 a benefit of her love for me. That's something that I enjoy. That's an attribute that's okay. Because you know that if I came home and she heard about me out to dinner with another woman, my head would be gone as well as the rest of my body, Dexter Morgan style. You know what I'm saying? Shopped up and in a sea in a bag somewhere. That just would not happen. She would not be, am I, am I talking right? Am I saying, yeah, she's sitting over there. She's jealous for my love. She wants my love and only my love for her. And God is a jealous God. And so when we recognize that God is that way, that he wants us every day. So we have to choose today who we will serve. And we have to continue to choose every single day. We have to choose him every other day. The last and final thing that you can do to show God is to smash all other gods. In verse 23, he says to them, 
Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, today, I'm probing your heart. I'm doing it intentionally and I'm asking some tough questions and I hope that you have the honesty and that you're willing to allow your heart to be probed and ask those questions of yourself. Is there an idol that sits on your heart? We don't intend to. And I say this is one of the hardest, hardest things for me to do as far as to write this and to deliver this because as I went through it and as I started praying about it, I said, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. And I, I repented. And I've said this so many times before that repentance is not a bad place to be. Repentance gives you an opportunity to be restored to God, to be restored into relationship. Just like when I removed the iPod from my kids, that thing they think they can't live without. All of a sudden, they're restored to relationship with me. And my son even tells me, he's like, oh, I am, there are days he's told me this. I'm so glad you took it away from me. I'm so glad it's gone. I've forgotten about all of this. He was relieved. He was restored. And that's what probing you and saying, man, I've got an idol on my heart. It starts with repentance. It starts with admitting, God, I don't know how this happened, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. And that's where it starts. If you've just been trying to take cough syrup to treat the sin that you're struggling with and the discouragement that you're dealing with, then choose this day that the Lord God alone will sit on the throne of your heart. In the next few weeks, it may get a little uncomfortable in this room. It's not like I'm going to point at you and say, you. But we're going to explore some of the different gods that fight for the throne of your heart. We're going to talk about them. We're going to just be honest. But today, I'd like everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. Because I want to ask, you know, one of the biggest gods is the God of me. The one that says it's all about me. It's all for me. It's about me. And that God sitting on the throne of your heart often keeps you from a place of repentance. So if you're here today and you've never made that commitment, you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm tired of the God of me sitting on my heart. If that's you, would you just, but nobody's looking around, everybody's got their eyes closed. If you, I don't want to embarrass you. That's not my intent. But if you just put your hand in the air to let me know you're here today and you want to make that commitment, I want to pray for you. If there's anybody here, just put your hand up. And then for those of you that are here today, you say, Aaron, you know what? Some of this has probed my heart. This, this has revealed something in me. And even if it didn't now, that I'm willing to go home and to think about this and to pray over it. If that's you today, I want to pray for you too. Because Jesus is worth it. Amen? Jesus is worth it. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Jesus is worth it. So I'm going to pray now and then we'll... We'll give you an opportunity to receive prayer if you need it, and then we'll dismiss. Father, I just thank you so much for this word. I thank you, God, for your word that challenges our hearts, God. Lord, and for an opportunity to repent. We thank you for that grace, for that mercy that you give us daily. Lord, for when we don't, whether we intentionally do it or unintentionally do it, whether we pick up an idol and we allow it to sit on the throne of our heart. Lord, we're sorry. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to convict us. Restore us to relationship with you. 
Restore us to a place of where we find our joy in you, where we find our, our hope in you. Not in our paychecks, not in our spouses and our relationships, but only in you because all of those things, Lord, those things we know, they're empty substitutes. There's just something that's not quite satisfying and right. Forgive us today. Set us right. Show us how to live a life where we choose you daily, where we choose to pick up our cross daily, where we choose you daily and cast down every other God, fearing that its rule and reign in our lives will bring us destruction like a cancer. So God, I pray that you go with these here this week and that you bless them, that you bless their time of prayer, that you would rejuvenate that, Lord, as they are restored back to you. And I ask it in Jesus' name.